When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, everybody, and welcome to episode 72 of the Burden of Command podcast. I think you're going to love this episode. It's uh, another great guest from our friends over at C.S. Lewis Publicists and Company. Uh, the gentleman I'll be speaking to today is Darren Dahl. Uh, he kind of co-authored the book Change the Game with Mr. Jack Stack. And I think that's exactly what this book sets out to do is really change the game of business, how we view leadership, how we view our organizations and how they can function and what they can achieve. Uh, but Darren does a great job of unpacking kind of the philosophies that are held within the book. I uh, highly encourage you to pick up a copy of Change the Game. And uh, I'm just going to get out of the way here and let you all get right into the interview with Mr. Darren Dahl. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest is Mr. Darren Dahl. Darren is a business journalist and has ghostwritten multiple books, several of which have landed on bestseller lists. He is a co-author of a new book, Change the Game, Saving the American Dream by Closing the Gap Between the Haves and Have-Nots. Darren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Earl. It's great to be here. Yeah. Um, I don't know if guests can hear that in the background, but somebody decided to start running a leaf blower right <laughs> yeah. now. Perfect timing, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so so hopefully that goes away here real quick. Um, so let me go ahead and start you off with where I start everybody. Uh, when you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? You know, I, I appreciate uh, you asking that as a leadoff question because it I think when I first heard about your podcast, Earl, it just, I thought it was such a powerful phrase. And I have to admit, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the notion of sleepless nights worrying about the people that you work with in the case of a business or people, the folks in your organization or in your unit. And that notion of what you will do or keep you, what keeps you up at night trying to do the best for those people. Um, I, I, it really connects to me actually also with, with my co-author, Jack Sack, um, who, who with the book that you mentioned, thank you for mentioning, it changed the game. Uh, this, the journey that I've been on with, uh, with Jack, actually, he, he's been on much longer. And, and the original book that kind of kicked off a lot of what we'll be talking about today is called The Great Game of Business. And what Jack's 
purpose. And it's it's a really amazing uh, story of saving a factory and saving jobs by figuring out how to teach people what it means to run a business through by transparency, financial literacy, and getting them all kind of rowing in the same direction. But the the real the why behind that uh, was always about the people. And so I think you we think about command and we can think about hierarchies and we can think about topics of leadership and titles and things, but you know if, if you equate command with leadership, which I think I do, um, you know, command sounds a little bit like you're giving somebody command or that you've been given a title that gives you some sense of power. And I think a difference there sometimes is leadership is, you know, this is probably a little bit of a silly definition, but, you know, what is a leader well, or what does every leader have in common? Uh, someone willing to follow them. And I think that when that, that word burden is what kind of sticks with me because it is this notion of what what is that thing that's keeping you up at night what is that thing that's driving you and for for the people that that we know that like jack sack like the people who have really embraced this thing that we call the great game of business it's really about the burden is how do you make the lives of the people you're working with better not just you personally not just you as the leader but the entire organization and their families. And then that spills into your communities and, and beyond, you know, it's just that. So I, I'm not sure that's a great definition, but it, there's something very emotional and visceral to me about what, what your, that your phrase. And so I, I hope I've conveyed some of that, um, you know, just that what it really does connect to that. Why, what, what is, where are you trying to go together and why are you doing it? Yeah, no, no, I love that answer. And I, and I loved your, uh, I don't think it's a crazy definition of leadership whatsoever. It's, uh, that's one of the things I, I, I preach, right? Is management is a title. That's mm-hmm. something that somebody from on high can bestow upon you. Yeah. Uh, they can't do that with leadership. Leadership exactly. is a gift given to you by those who choose to follow you. Yes. Uh, and, and so I love it. No, I, I love everything you just said there. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a really good definition and I, I appreciate you sharing it because uh, I could hear, uh, I can hear the level of thought and, and emotion uh, when you were talking about it. So that, you know, I, I love that. <laughs> and, and that's why I like asking the question, you know, because being a, a former active duty Marine myself, you know, it was a phrase that, mm-hmm. that we used a lot and it was just kind of commonplace. And when I got into the private sector, and anytime either I would say it or somebody else I knew uh, that was a, a veteran would say it, we'd always get these kind of well, the, the, these kind of visceral responses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and sometimes it was good. Sometimes it was negative. Uh, and, and that's kind of why I wanted to build the podcast around that central question mm-hmm. is, is to get all these different responses. And, you know, this is uh, – trying to think of what episode this is going to end up being, but this is probably going to be close to the 60th-ish. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And and I think I've probably gotten 60 different answers (laughs) to that question. Yeah. And they're all good. Right, right. Well, I think that's that's a – you're – as like any journalist would do, it's – you you ask a question – 
and it, let's, let's, if you're investigating a story as a journalist, one of the kind of rules of thumb is that you keep asking people until you start hearing the same answer. That's when you know you've got it covered. Right. Sounds like you haven't got this covered, right? <laughs> it's like a deep enough subject where you got to keep going. And, and I think that's why you've hit on something it's, that is really like a core uh, issue. So that, that's kind of uh, fascinating. Yeah, no, it's it's really good stuff. And so speaking of good stuff, again, uh, listeners, uh, we're going to be talking, you know, as as with all of my guests who have written books, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. Kind of the 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 backdrop, if you will, is going to be uh, the book that, that Darren and Jack wrote, uh, Change the Game, Saving the American Dream by Closing the Gap Between the Haves and the Have-Nots. That is an amazing title. <laughs> um, I mean, because it's, it's something, I mean, it's something we hear about on the news on a routine basis now, the, the, this, this have and have nots, the one percenters, that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, this book is already setting out with a fairly lofty goal, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. And if, for context too, we, we wrote this book before our current, uh, pandemic crisis. And so that's certainly... You know, has added. I think what we see it in the news too is that it's in many ways is stretching the gap further, right? I mean, between who's the have and have nots and people that uh, went into this in good position um, financially, health wise, all they they may be doing just as well right now. But what we're seeing too is maybe more people coming into that have not bucket, and a lot of those are. Uh, Maybe small business owners who just maybe didn't understand uh, what it meant to have debt and now what it means when your business is closed. And so that rainy day is here. What, what, were you ready for it? But also all these folks that are you know, losing their jobs or have lost their jobs and gosh, you know, through no fault of their own. And, and with those business owners too, I mean, sure, maybe there's some planning ahead that could have been done, but this is not something anybody could really have planned for. Um, but, you know, when you getting back to your to your title and your question about burden of command, one of the things that that is so profound about what, um, again, my co-author, I have such respect for him and I would encourage your, your listeners to to read his, his other books as well. Great Game of Business and Stake in the Outcome is that his priority from the beginning has always been to save jobs and to create new ones actually and not just to preserve them and what this this system this great game of business uh is all about it is getting people to have that sense of uh security and, and a, almost having a notion of uh, control of their lives and i think even in a pandemic it, 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 you know, a lot of us probably just feels like out of control right now. But um, like, for example, Jack's company is currently a mix of 10 different um, primarily man remanufacturing facilities in, in Missouri. And they have 1800 associates right now. Um, they This has been a business that's grown from 100. And I can talk a little bit more about that story. But they have they have not laid off anybody. And the the book that uh, Jack and I have written about, written the stories within it, 
are a collection of folks who have also kind of embraced running their company in this different way, putting people at the front of it, not necessarily just the financial performance, knowing that you need to have the financial performance to take care of the people. But we there's, um, we, we have had so many stories from people who have not had to lay off people. And when you think about what is a burden of command and you think about, um, I don't know if I probably would let you answer it from maybe your experience in the military, but from a, in a business standpoint, what we're seeing is, you know, the big corporation, maybe we're, you know, they, they don't know the people. There's too many uh, employees in the organization to, for them to know them personally. Is it easier to do a layoff? You know, is it easier to let people go in, in the wake of something like this as opposed to a small business? But then again, if you're a small business, let's let's say you're a restaurant and you can't stay open right now. Talk about a burden of command. To what do you, what are you supposed to tell those folks and their families? So I I think that there's a that's not something that's probably looked at during the good times, you know, the burden aspects of that. And right now, when the tough times, maybe this is our chance to kind of reflect about like, what are we doing and why are we doing it? So that when the good times come back, we can think <laughs> it's kind of our chance to reset or try to make the most of what is, you know, a really not a great situation right now for so many of us. Yeah, no, and and I, I like that. And, and to answer your question, you know, I, I think that's one of the reasons why uh, I, I'm enjoying this podcast so much is is kind of exposing that kind of parallel between uh, military leadership and business leadership. Because you know, you asked the question uh, about is it easier to lay off in a smaller business versus a larger business, and and I think you know. My answer to that is it depends on the business, and it's the same thing in the military, right? It depends on the commander. Mm-hmm. If if you're a commander that likes to, you know, be detached, uh, mm-hmm. be at that thirty thousand foot level, and you know, you all we got more uh, modern equipment than sand tables now. But if you just view your troops as as pieces on the sand table that you can move around and plan with, and you don't humanize mm-hmm. them. Then sure, it's easy to send somebody into battle and lose 10, 20, 30, 40 uh, soldiers or airmen or Marines or sailors. Uh, and the same thing with business, right? If you're such a large business where all you know are numbers, you don't know people, sure, it's easy to just cut numbers off a of bottom line. Yeah. But if you're that smaller, like once you get down to that unit level and and you're leading at that level and you know these people and maybe you've even had functions with their family and, and there's a yeah. personal connection. The, the idea, and I've said this on this podcast many a times, and I, I know it holds true for business. Uh, I had early in my career, I had a uh, senior uh, staff NCO tell me that their definition of military leadership was having the the capability and understanding your job is sending your troops into harm's way up to and including death mm-hmm. but the thought of doing so ripped your heart out yeah and, and i would say it's the same thing for small businesses you know you know that there may be a time where you absolutely have to lay somebody off or fire somebody but it should be a, a very emotional 
reason and connection behind it, not just a flip of a switch, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, stakes being a, a little bit different, but it, there, there's um, kind of a, a cool thing that came out is uh, I think most of us, especially these days, have uh, know what Netflix is and have mm-hmm. used its streaming services. And um, so the co-founder of Netflix, uh, his name's Reed Hastings, just came out with a book. And it, it's a bestseller. It's a really interesting format. It's kind of set up as a conversation between him and a, and a business school professor. But he devotes a whole chapter to Jack Zack and this whole notion of how running a business through complete transparency and how maybe that we can maybe talk a little bit about how this might shift some of that burden of command. But one of the things that, that Hastings says in his book is that when he first learned about uh, Jack and this approach to kind of radical transparency in, in a business was uh, he heard he, he was in a, a workshop at, at a think tank institute. And one of the, the other attendees at the at this conference uh, came up and said, what my job as a leader is to put an umbrella up over my employees and to protect them from the things that they aren't good at or the things they don't need to know. I, my job is just to keep them focused on doing the one thing that I know that they are good at and what I want them to do. And what Hastings kind of replied or his, his visceral reaction to that was like, I, I want my employees to get wet. Mm-hmm. I want to take, a, take away those umbrellas. I want them to, to know this stuff because in a lot of ways, one of the, like kind of building off your example of the small business owner, I've, I've talked to thousands of small business owners over, over my career. And, you know, so often when times are good, it's like, I think there is that kind of sense of ego. Like I, this is because of me. I'm, I'm very smart. I'm the innovative one. And a lot of times that's true, but when things go bad, <laughs> It's you. They're also now the ones they've set themselves up for that burden, right? They've got to figure out the solutions. They've got to talk to their banker. They got to call the lawyer because they've kept it all to themselves. And and in a way, because it could have been very much a uh, thinking they are helping their employees, they're protecting them, right? But I I think that what we're seeing, and I don't know. The, if there's an exact parallel to the military example, but you know, the more that you understand or that you share, that you trust your people, that they can learn and that they want to, and of, of course, you're going to run into some people that don't, and maybe those are are the folks that you ask to leave. They're they're not a fit for your you know, culture, which is a word that we overuse a lot these days. But you know, if if they don't fit that team atmosphere you're trying to build, but why do we try to protect people from information, from the truth um, of a situation? And, you know, I don't know, it, it, is it possible that it, even in your military example, like, wouldn't you want to know why you guys are, you know, why you'd be sent into that mission? What, mm-hmm. what is the, the downside? What are the risks so that you can mitigate it and take action rather than just blindly walk into something? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, uh, you, you know, uh, so one of the things my partner and I teach uh, here at the Leadership Failings, 
one of our, our shields of the phalanx is uh, be a power broker. Information mm-hmm. is power. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's everything that you just said right there, because I think what most leaders fail to understand, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, or if, if you all have ran into this, trying to protect people by controlling information is probably one of the most counterproductive things a, a business owner can do. Yes. Because when there's a lack of information, nature abhors a vacuum. Yep. And that gap is going to get filled with rumors and 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 gossip. And none of that stuff is ever positive. Exactly. It drains productivity and it forces people to look for jobs elsewhere, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, that getting back to, to even connecting it to this, this story. So the, it's laid out in, in the book, The Great Game of Business. But in a brief version, um, what Jack ran into was a situation where he he was sent to this town of uh he he was from chicago he worked for international harvester at the time so this is 1983 Mm -hmm. and um if if anyone who's lived in the midwest or or is old enough to remember i mean that was one of you know the biggest companies in the world at that time but 1983 was also the advent of one of the worst recessions that we've ever had uh, maybe gets forgotten a little bit, but that was a time of you know eighteen percent interest rates and uh, all kinds of carnage in, in the economy, and including with the International Harvester, where they at one point they were laying off nearly a thousand employees a day. Mm. You know they went they're going from one of the largest employers in the world, and they're shedding blood like crazy. And what Jack found out. In his, there was a facility that he he was general manager of. Was they remanufactured combine engines? So taking like those the big farm tractor, the engines when they wear out, they, these guys would uh, you know get in there with their hands and and with the grease and all that and clean them up and and remachine them so that they could be sold back to the farmers as an alternative to a new engine. So this is you know real tough work. Um, real tough people doing the work right. uh, in this factory. And what Jack, what he found out was, is they were going to close his plant. And so these 120 folks were going to lose their job. And because everything else was was falling down around them, there was going to be no other jobs for them. So what he, he wanted to do and what he, uh, his kind of bold leadership move uh, his burden of command was to how do I save these jobs? And the, the solution he came up with was, well, I'll just buy the, the business. We'll, we'll figure out a way to buy this factory and run it ourselves. And that became a journey for him of, whoa, I it, it, after a few meetings with some bankers, maybe a couple of investors, he was telling them all about, look at the great products that we make. We can I mean, these are just awesome things. We are such skilled workers here. And the bankers and financiers, they were like, we don't care. What's your, how are you going to pay us back? What's your business model? And that was when Jack was realized like, wow, I, here I am. You know, I think he was in his mid thirties at the time. I had been taught how to make great products. No one has ever taught me how to make a great company. And that began this journey for him of they they eventually did 
spoiler alert, they, they do, he found somebody, a banker who lent them the money. I mean, it, it was a group of managers that they all, they pooled money from their families, every, everything they had, they pooled together and then found a bank that was willing to lend them enough money to buy it. But funnily enough, the, the banker was fired the next day oh, for making such a bad loan because these guys were, their debt to, to equity ratio at the start was 180 to one. Mm. So they basically were in a, in a as fragile boat as you could find. Any kind of thing that went wrong, they missed any kind of payment, anything goes wrong with a product shipment, they were, they were dead in the water. And so this was when Jack decided this burden of command can't just be me. I can't, I can't save all of this. I need, we need everybody working together on this. So the problem is, is that how do I do that? And the one thing in every business that, that every business has in common is a, a customer, but they also, every business has a set of financials and that is your scoreboard. That's how you know how healthy you are, how well you're doing, both against your own benchmarks and against the competition. And typically the, the financials, meaning your, your income statement, your balance sheet, your cash flow statement, those are all that kind of protected information, those secrets that you're talking about. You know, that's, you know, we don't share that with the regular employees or God forbid anybody outside of the company. You know, that's super secret stuff. Well, what Jack decided was that can't be. That's, that's how we are going to know if we're winning or not. And so he came upon the notion of, well, running to barriers too, because people get scared about numbers. You know, that when, math is either something you love or you hate for a lot of us. And I think the notion of accounting is also gives people shivers and makes them sweat. Like, oh gosh, I don't want to know that. <laughs> so what he did was, hey, let me fake people out and let's treat it like a game. Because when it comes to playing a game like Monopoly, everyone likes to, to understand if they're winning or losing by looking at the pile of cash they've got, right? Right. So why why is this any different? And so that's where the three principles that we write about in the in the in Change the Game kind of come out, which is it, if you treat business like a game where you everyone know you, you teach everyone knows the rules and you teach them the rules to the game. Right. Everyone, then you keep score. So everyone knows who, if you're winning or not winning. And then you share a stake in the outcome, meaning everyone gets, if you win, you get to share in that. And so what that became the great game of business. And to be fair, a lot of people have uh, kind of chafed against that phrase and that notion because business is serious. You know, it's not a game that you are demeaning the importance of business. And it's like, no, you know, this is, this is the point. It can be fun. You know, if you, everyone, I would say that's just another uh, common thing with all, just about every person you meet is that no one likes to lose. So why not give people the chance to win and understand why they're winning? It's, it's kind of like the, you know, at that time, uh, when all those factories are being, people are being laid off or factories being closed. And you, 
I don't know if, if you've had this kind of experience where you you show up to your office or to your factory the next day and there's a sign there that says, sorry, we're closed. You know, you, you've lost your job. And, I, you know, I think that's the kind of thing that's happening today. You, yeah. you don't know. You're just showing up and it's like, wait a minute, man. And, you know, there's we've heard so many stories over the years of people being like, well, gosh, if they'd only told me it was so bad, maybe I could have helped. Yeah. Maybe it could have changed things. Maybe the outcome wasn't pre, you know, preordained. Like we could have done something to make the future better. And that's the whole idea of, of the great game of business is how do we shift that burden of command so that it's not just, well, it's only the people at the top that are smart enough to figure out how we get better and continue to grow or keep in, uh, keep our jobs and create new ones. Let's everyone do it. And let's understand how the we're going to teach you what business is. We're not we're, like what Jack learned. We're going to teach you what success looks like. And we're going to teach you how to keep score using the financials. And we're also going to share the rewards when we do well. And that means both in terms of uh, sharing profits in, in a very transparent, open way and through employee ownership, which is, I think, a lot of times a very... Um, it's still overlooked way to address this in particular, the gap between the have and the have nots. And, you know, as you noted earlier, it, it is a lofty thing that we put on there. But when you think about it, we, we get a lot of debate it, again in, in the media when this topic comes up. And a lot of times we focus a lot on things like minimum wage and, uh, minimum salaries for people and things like that. But the, what we, when you really look at what drives wealth, the most people who have wealth at one time, it was through equity in a business or equity in property or equity. And so when it's not until you have that kind of a real stake in something that you can address that, the wealth gap. So the income gap is one part of this, but the wealth gap is the one that's really significant. And so why not teach people how you can build wealth by building up a business and give them a share of that? That that's our that that's the argument that Jack has been making and and not just in an academic way, but running it uh, with as I said earlier, uh, eighteen hundred people now who are employee owners, and we've also. It's kind of fascinating because the, that journey that they started in 1983, a lot of the folks that were inside that business at that time, as I mentioned earlier, it's hard work, um, but it was it paid fairly well. And so what you found was a lot of people with high school educations, that kind of thing, were, were doing this work. And what's so significant is that today, so many of those folks, those the hundred people that whose jobs were saved, they're now retiring as millionaires. Right. You know, and that is because of they understood or they took part in this journey of learning what it means to to drive a business forward and have fun doing it. So it's a it's an amazingly inspiring story to me, especially as somebody who has has talked to so many different business owners over the years over my career. It's like there's something really profound about this story. And there's so many, there's, there's been thousands of companies that after they've read Jack's books, they want to run their company like this too. 
so there there is truly uh, an argument to be made that in my opinion that this is a better way to run a business because it is about trusting people getting them involved and you know shifting to use your phrase the burden of command so that everyone it's shared by everyone and and not just the person at the top yeah no i again you you, you notice i, I kind of let you go there because <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> no no that, that was fantastic because uh, you're preaching to the choir i mean uh, you know, I talked about those shields earlier. Mm. Uh, it, it's funny. I had a big smile on my face. You, could, you can't see it, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, one of our uh, other shields that we talk about is uh, define success, empower team member. I can speak right now. <laughs> define success, empower team members, and achieve results. And, and that's mm. everything that you were just talking about right there. And I'm, I'm a little – I'm not shocked – I guess I'm disappointed that people kind of uh, snub their nose at this uh, making business a game because, mm. I mean, it should be. And and when people, for a lot of reasons, right? I mean, one, like you said, when people understand the rules, they really understand what's expected of them and, and what success looks like. Define success. Yep give them the opportunity to go and achieve that success by any means, as long as it's moral, legal, and ethical. Um, But let's just be honest. Most people who find the most success have the most fun. Yeah. Uh, You know, I mean, so let's take a look at the NFL right now. (laughs) Okay. I don't know how many people here listening are are NFL fans. I know that there's this whole love-hate relationship with the NFL right now. But you can't uh, have have been on this earth and not heard the name Patrick Mahomes over the yeah. last year, year and a half, right? Yeah. There you is can just no, see on his face, right? Yeah. He says it all. He is having a blast playing the game of football. He's taking all of this. You know, I love Peyton Manning being a Tennessee boy mm-hmm. and, and living outside of Indianapolis. But, you know, Peyton took it to this whole technical tactician level. Mm-hmm. And he had a little bit of fun with it, too. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Tom Brady was the same way. He had a little bit of fun with it. But Patrick Mahomes is just, it's pure fun on the field and off the field. And he is killing life right now. So why are people afraid to have fun with what they're doing? Yeah. well. I- you know, in a lot of ways, I think that you can start unpacking that by I mean, think about for a, a lot of people, uh, the notion of job and work. It, there's not a lot of fun there. Right. You, know, you know, it's kind of like, oh, man, Monday's coming. I man, my job. And I think that that's one of the things is wh- why is, you know, obviously a lot of us are forced to do things or, or do things to have the money to, to put food on our tables, to give our kids and put them in school or give them shoes or whatever it is. But if, imagine if that burden is, you know, we, we've got the other school of thought, which is, hey, uh, follow your passion and do what you love. And well, that that can work. That's I think that's very aspirational for a lot of us. But if you're not able to make money doing it, then you know it's that it, that's it's a little bit tough. Um, I, I just remember one of the uh, things that really stood out to me. This, you know, we we've got uh, a lot going on this year with with the pandemic and also with uh, the social protests and things like that. But the the last kind of era where we had social protests was the 
the March on Wall Street, if you if you remember the um, Occupy Wall Street movement mm-hmm. from you know what was that last from the last recession? Oh eight oh nine. Yeah, exactly. I, I just uh, an anecdote from that was I, I remember watching the news one day, and there was a, a really angry young man uh, you know, talking to a TV interviewer, and he was really um, making some strong points about why the government needed to pay for his college and why he was in so much debt and, you know, that somebody needed to, to bail him out. Right. And as it kind of the interview went on, he, at some point, the person asked him, well, what, uh, you know, what's your, what did you get your degrees in? And as it happened, this guy had a master's in puppetry. (laughs) And, you know, to me, that was just, it was just an example of, well, we're all, we all, (laughs) let's just say it's another kind of burden. We're accountable to the choices we make. And if, you know, yeah, we can follow our passions for puppetry, but if we're going to go and get our uh, fancy master's degree and and be a hundred thousand dollars in debt, that's our choice. And I think that when you, when you start unpacking that, I don't know that people are really, they are afraid or, or it's just not being taught in schools in a way where maybe if we, we shifted how we taught math so that it was much more about this understanding consequences of money or financial literacy or what does it mean to take on debt? And is that a good decision to uh, go to that school? And, you know, we see the amount of debt right now for, for college students is astronomical. But it's where is the accountability? I'm not trying to blame anyone or or or, or make it the students have not try to help them in some way. But it is a little bit of a lack of education, and I think that same that's where it happens in business too, where where folks if they don't know what's going on, they tend to want to blame or you know that shift into that the information vacuum you talked about earlier, like why you know, whose fault is it? It's the CEO. They're taking too much money or they're, they're so, uh, I see their car. It's, they have a fancy car. They're just banking their money. Well, you know, it's another one of those things that we've learned over time is how that a lot of employees don't even understand profit. It, they, they don't understand the difference between sales and profit. They conflate the two. Me, right. The media does it all the time too, for what it's worth. <laughs> yes. And, and, when you ask some, uh, we've had a lot of companies do um, informal surveys of their of their people before they kind of embrace this this transparency and teaching and playing business like a game. And they, what we've seen is they do a survey where they ask employees, you know, how much money do you think? How, what's the profitability of of our business? And you can simplify it by being like, with for every dollar of sales we have, how much do we get to keep in profit? And we've even had people that have done this in really creative ways where they bring in like a wheelbarrow of monopoly money and say, okay, this is a month of sales. This is how much we pull in in sales. Now let's start divvying it up. And what you find, though, is that most employees, it's something like on the order of 40 to 60 percent is what they think is profit. Mm. And, you know, if you have a company that is that profitable, you are killing it. But 
you know, we're talking about people that are in restaurants, in, you know, car washes, manufacturing facilities. They're lucky if they're making two, three percent. Right. But the employees don't know that. And so then when you go through a visual exercise, like having a, a wheelbarrow full of cash and then handing out like, well, here's this bill and here's this. And oh, look, this is what we pay you guys for your salaries. And then there's always that extra little uh, mule kick at the end, which is whatever's left in there. Then Uncle Sam comes out, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't forget about taxes. So it's I guess uh, I'm probably diverting off where your your point was but it's again this notion of people maybe they can't have fun because they don't understand what game they're in and if you don't teach them the game they're in then they don't know if they're winning or losing and so it seems like a miserable thing to show up every day when you're kind of walking into a black box and you just do something like okay they're telling me to drill this hole as well as i can drill it i'm going to keep drilling it like that no one wants to do that kind of work you know right. it's how do we connect to something bigger and and exciting and feel like we're all doing something together you know so that's the kind of opportunity maybe we have ahead of us well yeah i mean so no i i agree and you know you said a lot there you said, and and a lot of good stuff and so using the example of the the masters in in puppetry mm. uh you know you don't go into that profession or you shouldn't go into that profession thinking you have a fast track to say running Microsoft or something. Right. <laughs> right, right. But the thing that, that gets me is, is, and you know, if you love being a puppet master, fantastic, more power to you. But like you're, you're I think what I'm hearing here is know the game, know what the rules yeah. are of that game. Yeah. You're not going to get, unless maybe, you know, you get in with a Disney or something like that. There may be a path for you in that business, but know what it is. And in today's day and age, if you're, there's too many opportunities around you to to not be able to do something. Like like with the puppetry thing, like we live in a social media driven age right now, where we have people who are making a killing on Instagram and TikTok mm-hmm. and. Uh, YouTube and things like that, you know, why can't this young uh, young person just go and, and uh, put together a channel, right? Sure. Put that thing to, yeah. to use, monetize that skill set instead of begrudging what other people have done. Use your skills to your advantage. Now, yeah. on the other hand, and I think you will agree with me on this too, because we've kind of talked about it uh, a little bit already, you know, we're talking about ethical leaders making ethical choices that are looking out for their people. And sadly across business, that's not always the case. We, we mm-hmm. do have some people that draw some legitimate ire because they're making decisions for themselves and cutting people loose. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I like this idea, uh, the, this ethical, uh, what well, is it? But, Conscious capitalism, I think, is what I've heard yeah, about lately. Yeah, exactly. And, and this falls, you know, right in line with that. Uh, one of the the founders of that conscious capitalism movement, John Mackey, you know, the who started the Whole Foods Market. Mm-hmm. He he's somebody who has has read Jack's books and has come and spoken at his conferences before. So there there's definitely a, a synergy of values there. 
and and, you know, and I like what you're saying. I mean, it's interesting how the more open you are and the more you're able to share, you also minimize the risk of somebody monopolize or, or taking advantage of that power of information or lack of sharing of that information. Uh, you know, it's the when there are no secrets, then you've got everybody kind of working off that. And you, the, you've, you've sort of taken away a lot of the opportunities and maybe even some of the incentives to try to game that, you know, game the system, so to speak. Um, but, you know, I don't, and it's also what, what I like about your, your point about the, the puppeteer uh, case is that you know, I, I think what, what sort of bugged me at the time about it is that it's treating, it's where we've got to a point where people consider some things as entitlement. Mm-hmm. So, like, I am entitled to pursue whatever I want without consequence, which could mean, like, I'll take on $100,000 in debt to pursue this, but have no plan how to pay that off. Right. You know, or or the notion that I am, that I need to figure that out. Like you said, what, that that's often entrepreneurship is that, uh, you know, it's the old saying, necessity is the mother of invention. It's like, typically that's where you get this, the great innovation things when you're like, your back is up against the wall. But it's kind of sad when, when you've got a generation that might be saying, just bail me out. You know, I don't, I don't have to, I, I don't want to work that hard or try to figure my way out of this. And so I just think that it, I, I was picking on that guy because I think he was, it's just a case of not having, not being taught the game, even uh, as they approach the, the prime of their life. And what does that mean now with all these kids that, that have all this debt that maybe never thought of it as debt. It was just more of this entitlement to getting a university degree. But is there really that difference between going to an Ivy League and going to, you know, a great state school and understanding, well, maybe I don't, I don't want to take on that extra debt for that because I don't know it'll be worth it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that last part uh, is a great uh, is a great point. And, uh, you know, Malcolm Gladwell makes that point Mm -hmm. very, very eloquently in his book, David and Goliath. Yeah. Uh, You know, sometimes uh, sometimes it is more advantageous to be a small fish in a small Mm -hmm. pond, uh, you know. And and yeah. And and that's the thing. Right. And, and, you know, because I just wanted to make that distinction because, uh, you know, I don't want the listeners thinking that that. that that we're against like liberal arts degrees no, and things like no, that. No, no, we, we need all. those people. Exactly. It's it's just the notion of like that no matter what that, that some someone else should pay for it. Yep. You know, and understanding the ripple effect of that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, one of the examples that that we talk about in the book too is, uh, you know, I think that debt as a whole is is a sort of it's one of these very powerful tools that can just turn on you so quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think that's what we're seeing a lot today. As I mentioned earlier, if, if you, know, you are a restaurant and you had a lot of debt because you, it's, it, when that debt gets called, I mean, that's just another one. Debt is another one of these burdens of command, right? I, I really believe that if, you are any kind of organization and you have 
unsustainable debt that you are putting all the people in your organization at risk. And, yep. and I think that it's just what we see though, uh, with a lot of young entrepreneurs right now is that they, they, they're almost oblivious to this. They, their, their goal, there, there's a whole, um, you know, talking about social media, I think you see a lot of celebrations over how much investors have valued the business as right. if that's an end in itself, which really all it means is that you're trying to either bring on a bunch of debt to grow, you know, to become one of those unicorns, or you're willing to give away equity uh, in order to, to get someone else's money, as opposed to maybe you know, smarter, slower growth, bootstrapping it, you know, it's almost as if that is being that art of growing a business that way is looked down upon now. It's like, well, you need to scale up, you need to get big fast, or you'll be swallowed. And, you know, but I don't think people really understand the risks of, of, of trying to scale like that. And, and especially if you're taking on debt. A hundred percent. Well, Darren, we are uh, sitting about 45 minutes or so here right now. And this has been a fantastic uh, conversation. And, and just to, to remind uh, listeners, uh, we haven't necessarily referenced the book directly a lot, but a lot of what we have been talking about is contained in the pages of uh, Change the Game, Saving the American Dream by Closing the Gap Between the Haves and the Have-Nots. Uh, Darren is one of the, the authors, and Jack Stack, who you've heard us talk about here uh, quite a few times, is, is the other half of that uh, team. And, uh, it is a great book, a lot of great lessons in there. I uh, would really encourage listeners to, uh, to go grab a copy and uh, add this to your bookshelf. Uh, you know, I've been very, very lucky uh, to have a lot of great authors on the podcast, and, uh, you know, this, I think, is right up there with, with some of the best books uh, that, that I've had on here. So uh, you know, really appreciate uh, appreciate you and Jack taking the time, put pen to paper, and, and crank this thing out. It's, uh, it's a good book. I appreciate those kind words. And, and certainly, you know, what, one of the goals we had in writing the book was to, to sort of pull the examples uh, that we think would relate to any one of your listeners that if if you read this book you'll see yourself in there in, in one of these pages and understand how is these kind of the things we're talking about uh we've been talking about with transparency and education and sharing uh how they can impact whether you're that you have a really powerful story about a not-for-profit that turned itself around by doing this you know not not-for-profit is sort of a misleading term, right? It's it's only a tax status. You you still <laughs> you need to make more money than you spend in order to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. We hear a lot about environmental sustainability, but what about financial sustainability and and understanding that? Um, you know, an, another story in there that it's kind of a, a personal favorite because it's I think it's counter to a lot of what we we think. Uh, Right now, in our current political climate, you know, there's I don't know how people feel about the government and do we trust the government and are they making good decisions and all this? Well, there's a case of a, a, a local county government that has embraced these same principles and they have opened up where they have weekly meetings where they share the status of their budget, what's going on. 
with the public and invite them in to talk about it and to understand priorities. And when this county, you know, it, that just built up an incredible amount of trust with with their community. And so when they came out to ask for a tax raise, you know, uh, like passing a bond to do some infrastructure work, it passed like with incredibly high percent because people said, we understand, we know what this is and we trust you. I mean, that's the power of, of operating this way, especially maybe in this, this has been such a tough year for so many of us. We It's so easy to be just discouraged and jaded and just, you know, tired. But man, when you kind of can embrace that, you know, as, as you were saying, Earl, just like having some fun again and maybe just opening things up in a new way, looking at your business in a new way, this, it might be the, the kind of recharge you need going into into next year and hopefully when, when we can get more, even more back to normal. I could not agree more. And, and uh, you know, I love that example and, and I love everything we've talked about here. Um, I mean, this has been a great, uh, this has been a great interview. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing what you have. Uh, so far, but before we wrap up, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to to cover that you'd like to leave with listeners? Well, uh, I appreciate that. And certainly what I would encourage you, if, if you're interested in any of these things that I, I've been kind of sharing and uh, you know, again, for what it's worth, I, I've been a business journalist for a while. And when I first met Jack and kind of heard these stories uh, that he was telling me and we did a little bit of writing for him. It was, I was like, wow, this really is different. And, and then I went to, to Springfield, Missouri, where he was and, and just kind of went and talked to people in the factories on the, on the floors. And I mean, this, it might sound a little like a cult sometimes or a little bit like, wow, this is too good to be true. And then you see how it just, when you see people, running a drill press and they're smiling like Patrick Mahomes, you know, there's something special going on there, yeah. you know, like, and, and sometimes it is seeing is, is believing. So um, I would encourage folks to, to check out the, the website for this organization. It's called uh, www.greatgame.com. And on there, you'll find all kinds of, of information, but also a, a really lively blog um, where there's really great stories of this in action and some of the, the companies that have embraced this uh, beyond Jack's company and how they've really uh, used it to, to keep jobs and to keep successful even through the pandemic. So it, it's a really uh, great website full of resources for folks to learn even more than what I've shared today. Outstanding, outstanding. I'll have... Uh... I have the link to that website in the show notes so people can uh, can find that directly. Uh, do they have, uh, does the website have contact info and all that good stuff for, yes, for you and Jack? Yes. Okay, good deal. So, yeah, I'll, I'll link to that. So, uh, listeners, if you have any questions uh, or anything like that, you want to get a hold of them to, uh, for whatever reason, check out the website and, uh, and catch up with these gentlemen. Um, well, again, Darren, I really, really appreciate the time, really appreciate the conversation. It has been an absolute pleasure to spend uh, pretty close this last hour with you. <laughs> well, I've enjoyed it too, Earl. I think you asked some really interesting questions, and uh, um, hopefully there'll be some, uh, maybe we'll have a chance to continue our conversation sometime, because uh, I feel like there, what you're seeing, and we didn't get to talk about maybe how even more of your principles might 
might align with this, but it, it sounds like you know you're changing lives with the work you do, and and I think that's what we do. What you know, this isn't just about uh, being academics and you know, like, you know putting on a, a a blueprint out there or just drawing up the play for 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 someone else to run. Like we're we're trying to make lives better, make our make our country better, give give people more opportunity. So that's what drives us, and and I can tell it drives you too. So. I appreciate you doing all all that you're doing to 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 in those efforts. Well, absolutely, brother. I appreciate those kind words. And uh, you know, one last time for for the listeners, uh, I've been with uh, Darren Dahl, uh, one half of the authorship team of Change the Game, Saving the American Dream by Closing the Gap Between the Haves and the Have Nots. And listeners, thank you for uh, for spending this last hour or so with Darren and I. Uh, again, I really want to encourage you to go pick up a copy of the book, check out the website, uh, see what these these concepts and principles are all about that uh, that they are, are championing here. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, uh, reach on out at burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, appreciate you all continuing uh, with the support. Uh, of rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. It is extremely valuable to those algorithms on the different platforms, and you all are doing a great job. Keep it up. uh, Keep sharing uh, so we can get all these great ideas uh, like these out as far and wide as absolutely possible. With that, thank you again for your time, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electric Acid Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electric Acid to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast, transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast.